All right, we are back. The Fear and Trembling Podcast. I'm Aaron Vanderveen. I'm the campus pastor for Watershed at Heart of Wyke Ministries. Next to me. And I'm Bill Lindner, campus pastor at Celebration here at Heart of Wyke. I am J.B. Wernland, campus pastor at Fusion here at Heart of Wyke Ministries. And I'm Darwin Glassford, the executive pastor here at the church. The big boss. We call him <laughs> sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, this month we are diving into a book uh, called Seculosity, and then I'll uh, I'll add on the that undertitle subtitle: How Career Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance, and on and on and on, <laughs> be- yeah. became our new religion. What to do about it? Um, I think for me initially is we looked at this book was really for me coming out of the relationship that I have with Lark, um, the table network. And a lot of times we talk about religion. We, we live in a, a highly religious world, but not in the realm of what we normally think of as religion, right? We think of religion as Christianity, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhism, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Uh, but here, David Zoll helps us see that there's a lot of other religions that we build our lives around. Um, so uh, really, yeah, the premise of the book is he says this in the introduction, religion is the justifying story of our life. Our religion is what that which we rely on, not just for meaning or hope, but enoughness. Let me read that one more time because it's piecing together a couple sentences, but religion for David's all and, and, and what he's trying to accomplish in this book is, is the justifying story of our life. Our religion is that which we rely on, not just for meaning or hope, but enoughness. So when you read this, uh, guys, what comes to mind? How does this larger view of religion impact? Um, yeah. How we make sense of our lives and the world around us. I think one thing is it, it broadens, um, some of these things uh, to a broader audience because I think I think there's a temptation um, if I if I don't believe in God or if I claim to be secular atheistic or whatever then I'm absolved from the trappings of religion and and right. this this kind of reframing um, says well are you you know <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. well that's a much nicer way yeah. no you're not yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. are you <laughs> that one. So so I think what's really interesting um, is actually for most terms, not all terms, but for most terms, there are two types of definitions. Mm. Um, There are what's called descriptive definitions, which actually describes what you, what people do or what something does. Sure. So often we use a term in our society and culture, we apply a descriptive definition. We say um, so-and-so's religious because they go to church or so-and-so's religious um, because they pray. And and that's kind of – so the secular person says, well, I don't do those religious acts. Therefore, sure. I'm not religious. Okay, right. But there's another kind of definition, and that's an essential definition, which says this is what something is. Mm. Okay. And and so what Zal is, is doing here, I think, in the beginning, which is really masterful, is he's helping us um, to change our understanding, to challenge our understanding of what um, the term actually is means, that it moves beyond just religious things that we do, but that at the very core, we're religious beings who want to find, um, who who attempt to find meaning and significance, um, or what he tends to say, enough, enoughness. 
Yeah. Um, and so that go back to JB's comment, you know, which is really good, is that um, the secular person is as religious as the fundamentalist. Yeah. Um, they're just religious. Yeah. They orient their lives around something different. They're they're pursuing a meaning, and yeah. it's independent of a particular time or a particular gathering or a particular well, tradition. Right. But it it reminds me again and again that deep in every human heart, there's a sense of I'm looking for something. Mm-hmm. There, there's something more, and I may not get it from that church building or that church tradition, but I'm going to look for it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right, and it, and it's that piece of being able to say we're we're all in the same boat together. Yeah, right. no, right. no one human being, you know, is is void of this. Right, right. we're all def- trying to define our. I might say it this way: we're we're trying to define ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so enoughness is that justifying, as he says, a justifying story. Right. How do I make myself okay? Yeah. And the question then becomes in terms of interacting with with people who may not associate with a church is not why don't you associate with a church? It can start with something like, well, what? where do you find meaning? Where do you find hope? Mm -hmm. And we're looking for that because there's this deeper sense, if we're safe to talk about it, that I'm missing the mark on something. There's some kind of inadequacy. There's there's something more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And him, that's where he comes up with creating a new word, right? Yeah. To try right. to capture yeah. this. Yep. <laughs> but I think I like I like how we're gravitating toward that enoughness because I yeah. think that really lands well as you were saying, Bill, across all spectrums, all yeah. people. Yeah. It, it it gives you a bridge to communicate with people who would not want anything to do with my tradition or my right. expression of, of church life or anything. But we're all looking for something. You you hear it in the music yep. that that we grew up with or sang, mm-hmm. depending on where you are, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. <laughs> see it here in the movies. Uh, all of these kind of things. There's this yearning for definition, for something more. Yeah. Well, and, and with that, then enough enoughness. There's this relentless in the human heart, right? A relentless pursuit of righteousness. He talks about. And so, how do you see that relationship between those two things of enoughness and righteousness? Um, so I guess we're going to have to define a little bit what is righteousness. Right. Um, but how do you see those things merging together? Because I, I think we do. We live in a very righteous culture, a sure. very mm-hmm. self-righteous culture, right? Everybody's saying this is my my cult creed conduct, if I could use those words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you don't fit in my cult creed conduct, I will cancel you, right? Yeah. I can push you out. You're somewhere mm-hmm. else. And so in that search for enoughness, right, we're, we're, find, we're trying to find our own meaning. We're mm-hmm. trying to find maybe a tribe to be a part of. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then there's this, this whole other thing of righteousness too. So I, I guess, yeah, how do you see those things working together? Well, for me, the, the righteousness and enoughness were a very close connection and very, very yeah. helpful for me. And I'll, I'll tell a little longer story here. Years ago – in a season of my life, I was deeply impacted by uh, some material that talked about the importance of of that righteousness that God gives us. And righteousness uh, was defined as right relationship, right relationship with God, right relationship with the world, with neighbor, with self. And that was a gift of God's grace. I mean, you can hear my preaching where that's going, that God's grace makes us well and makes us right. 
Well, in that kind of definition, um, John Miller, 1990s, uh, that sort of pursuit of righteousness that he picked up and talked about from Luther and such, he it comes together with enoughness. I'm looking for enoughness in my relationship with the world, with whatever's around me, that they come together very, very well. Justice mm-hmm. and righteousness are together biblically. That's right relationship and enoughness that the world is right and good. So I, I, I think they're almost synonyms in terms of my understanding of righteousness. Yeah. Rather, yeah. since I don't have a performance based righteousness. And I would think it. It seems to me that um, Zal tends to. Th- see them very, I mean, yeah. inter, interconnected. So, If you see righteousness as the fruit of your good performance, it'll be very confusing. <laughs> but if you see yeah. righteousness as what you achieve, perhaps, but for us as believers, what we receive in Christ of restored relationship and identity, then enoughness and righteousness, that kind of righteousness really do connect, I think. What you're hitting on, I mean, the whole premise of the book, right, is is if it's about what I achieve, if finding my enoughness and my righteousness, right, right yeah. it, what we're going to see is, man, there are so many de- different defining characteristics and ideas and religions. And we're, it's not going to bring us together. Yeah. It's actually going to leave us alone and isolated. It's going to leave us searching for more discontent. I mean, <laughs> and eventually those fail us, right? right? They can't do it. He coins another term that I loved in this book, performance-ism. <laughs> the ism of I've got to perform. And as a guy who's performed and been trained to perform <laughs> right. and gotten paid to perform, oh boy, was that striking home for me. <laughs> <laughs> but your, your performance is never enough because, oh, again, someone's always going to perform better than you. Right. And, yeah. and, and the reality thing that, that struck me about his book and some of the areas he's looking at is that one can buy into, say, the, uh, a religion of busyness but then you collapse from that, and so you reject that religion, and you adopt some other right, some other religious right. perspective, like self care, technology, <laughs> self care. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Ooh, I, right well, and all of it comes out of this insecurity, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right? I I need to. It's not just perform. I need to think or understand or believe the right things. Yeah. Um. Am I? You know. And it's and it and if if we don't have an external, it's all. I either have to get it from myself, like I have to earn my enoughness from myself, or I have to look outside of myself mm-hmm. uh, to get the approval yeah. or right. from certain groups, and it's mm-hmm. just an exhausting, never-ending journey. Um, it is. Yeah, proving is to that, myself and to others that I am enough will wear you out. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crush you. Well, here's some of the categories, again, that he he talks about, and we, we laughed uh, about this before of just – you probably could easily do a podcast on every one of these. Um, but, you know, what I love about his writing, too, is it's very accessible. So if you're sure. out there listening, I mean, this is a book you could dive into, but I would take it a chapter at a time. Um, yep. And the expanded edition, I know for sure, uh, does have some some questions in the back for right. discussion. So, um, but some of the topics are busyness, romance, parenting, technology, work, leisure, fandom, food, politics, and then 
Jesus land. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, so let's let's hit that one at the last, right? Um, <laughs> but as we think about these topics, um, and and again, instead of using the word religion, that's where he comes up with the term seculosity, right? It's just yeah. um, that religion in our own mind sometimes narrows the categories, and he's trying to again help us to see the bigger categories. But which one of these? Um, really grabbed your intention and or attention and connected some dots for you about like our current culture, you know, and how you're understanding and in framing some things together. Real quick, I hmm. think it's worth saying that um I'm 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 going last, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> there is but, no pre planned order. But, so. but I was just I was just gonna say like to, to be reminded that this word sec- seculosity, the temptation to say for the secular person to say I'm not prone to the trappings of religion. Uh, let's also just say that, uh, and Nizal is very clear on this, that the religious person is not, you know, absolved from the, the trappings of seculosity. Absolutely. Like all of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, so that, to, that'll be the to, next question. Just not, to, <laughs> not to assume that. Let's just say, hey, yeah. we, right. this is all like no. really convicting, <laughs> even for the, the religious or the self-proclaimed religious or Christian Christ follower. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So who wants uh, who wants to dive in? I mean, what? Well, I'll dive in on on one of the ones we would have been less inclined to see. I was taking the seculosity of food, trying to find identity or meaning or or hope in life, and more than just a good meal, and far more than hospitality, where we're caring for others. It's that if I eat the right thing, the planet will be saved. I don't know if you've yeah, ever yeah. run into oh, yeah, oh, yeah. folks yep. with with that kind of thing. All the people who recommend kale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's okay to eat kale. But yeah. that's like, <laughs> just, it's just not going to save you or the planet. Right. Um, and sometimes it shows itself in diets. If I could just eat the right thing so I'm the right kind of health, so I'm the right kind of person, I'm this, that, or the other. It's trying to find in food or in my life as a foodie. I'm, I'm not just a pedestrian fast food eater. Um, I am a foodie, a cultured, this sort of person, you know. So, like a coffee snob. Well, that could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Craft brewery snob. (laughs) Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you happen to mention, oh, and I went through the drive-through at McDonald's, and suddenly you realize everybody is aghast. Yeah. Um, Where are you going for your date night? And you say the wrong place. I'm like, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Russ, this is great. You know, we're not right. trying to. Do- <laughs> I just had breakfast there this morning, as a matter of fact. So, uh, it, it's this finding my security and my identity in something that I can, um, that it, that I can control or fail or not fail. I achieve this by what I eat. Yeah. And so to think that I'm pursuing righteousness, enoughness through my diet sets me up to to expect of food or or people's perception of my food. Uh, more than I could ever imagine or ever get from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's a good one, <laughs> Darwin. Um, and yeah. I, again, I know this yeah. from talking earlier, yeah. but uh, you know, technology. You, yeah, you jump on him, diving I, in. I love technology. I mean, jump on it. <laughs> so I've been, I've been having turn them on. I've, yeah, turn them on. Um, I've been having fun as we use um, technology. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've been having fun reading it um, in the in the realm of metaverse. Sure. And the, the metaverse, and it's it's actually pretty fascinating. Um, very quickly, I, I captured that it's um, 
It's really Second Life, if you're old enough to remember Second Life on steroids. Um, and it's a pretty amazing thing. I think one of the things about, about technology, a couple things here that, that really struck me. Um, one is technology is about simplifying things and making things efficient. And the interesting thing is technology has been part of our lives. The pencil was sure. technology. The printing press was technology. The vacuum cleaner was technology. And what he um, – what Zalt points out, which I think is really fascinating, is technology has, technology has grown and enhanced. It's put a greater demand on us. His illustration is great. The vacuum cleaner gets invented. All these cleaning substances get invented. And then all of a sudden, the standard of cleanliness in our houses goes up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. so the person cleaning the house is now spending more time cleaning <laughs> because of the technological advances <laughs> than beforehand because the expectations have changed. We have the same great. thing. Um, if you think about um, something as simple as a presentation – um, using um, a flip chart seems so archaic. And so now if you're giving a presentation, you're expected to spend hours and hours and hours of putting together um, 3D um, presentation, not even just PowerPoint, but using slideware. Got to have and some all, video. And video right. and voiceover and all your colors have to be perfect. And it all has to happen on cue. Yeah. Um, so the demands it's put on us have been just incredible. But the other thing that's really interesting to me um, that, that I've been thinking a lot about is um, it also allows us to create alternative worlds where we can interact with people. We can construct our own identities, um, what we think we ought to look like rather than maybe what we do look like. Yeah. Um, we can interact in these environments where the social and moral boundaries are incredibly fluid. And we can actually go into them and spend longer there and find enoughness there that when we have to come back into, I'll term the real world, there's a conflict between these two, and we have to sure. navigate that. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure what the long-term implications of that are, um, but – it's amazing to think about that I can – you all of us here can move into a virtual world. We need the right glasses and the right gloves and the right computer. But that we can actually sit around in a conference room seeing each other, talking to each other, the avatars of each other. Carry on a conversation. <laughs> no, this is the real me, Darwin. <laughs> yeah. Um, carry on a conversation with each other. That can actually be our virtual meeting. Yeah. And that virtual meeting can take place because um, – Maybe I'm um, camping in Montana. Um, Bill sunning himself with his parent, his mom on the beaches of South oh, Carolina. Yeah, I can. JB's in Wisconsin eating custard, um, <laughs> and Aaron is somewhere off on his motorcycle, and we can all appear <laughs> in this room together, and act together yeah. like we're together. And guess what? We could even do worship services like that, so we don't ever all have to be in the same place physically at the same time, but we can be there. Electronically, two, two things. First is, <laughs> I'm just thrilled that like my ideal circumstance was in, in your mind was being in Wisconsin eating custard. You know? <laughs> yes, that's but, a beautiful right. thing. I, I, I and, just made that and, up on the fly, and it's true, <laughs> and it's true. Because yeah, right. but but you're there waiting for next season with the pack. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, relate. So so here's another thing that was kind of in my mind because I was thinking about technology and I was thinking about fandom. Yep. Which is a real yeah. thing. I am a Packer yeah. fan. We're yeah. recording this the day after. Anyway, 
but, I, but one of the things I was thinking Chicago about Chicago Bears, <laughs> how this relates to enoughness is yeah. for me, like often technology and sports is actually a retreat. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. retreat to get away from the enoughness or the pressure to be enough. It's like this, this escape. Uh, and so I get just drawn into like this meaningless stream of videos. So anyway, there's this other yeah. side of like these things can also be an escape from the pressures of enoughness. Right. And that was just kind of well, resonating this morning. And, in my and mind. I was going to say with that escape nature too, it becomes an enoughness in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It comes mm-hmm. as this yeah. surprise enoughness. That yeah, wow. We could probably have a whole nother conversation yeah. just yeah, cause, on that. Because think about think about this. Can you imagine watching a football game anymore without technological circles being driven drawn around right, the quarterback, player. so you actually know where he is? Right, sure. I mean, if you think of how technology has enha- enhanced or changed the way that we even watch sports, yeah. Right. And, and and so again, is there enoughness there? And it's a different kind of enoughness when we mm-hmm. withdraw. And Yeah, and what Zoll pointed out for me that was very, very helpful was that it's not just that we can do the technology. Yeah. You know, we have Facebook, it gives us the technology to put a picture up of a grandchild. Right. But it's when we also begin to think of, well, and I've got this kind of grandchild, what does that say about me? Right. Mm-hmm. That's when it it's t- tinkering with our enoughness, if you will. Yeah. Right. Well, so, so you get into this. Into I mean, we, I don't want to – we could go down a, a side trail here really quickly. Sure. But but a sense that in technology and if you mentioned like um, in social media, then it becomes a competition. I, uh, your enoughness gets defined by how many followers you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Your created your, image. Your created image. And so you know, trying to navigate that um, – your sense of self based on the number of followers is, you know, it's a dark hole. Yeah. yeah. I've heard uh, pediatricians talk about the challenge with video games and young mm-hmm. boys is not so much how much are they playing those video games. It's is that their only place where they experience success? Because huh. if they're experiencing success, it draws them into that and that's the yeah. only place it draws them into that video game in a whole different way. Right. Yeah. And that comes into then leisure, right? Yeah. That's a whole nother yeah. piece sure. in conversation. JB, yeah. you had some another piece to that. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you said there was a, I, a second thing or Oh no. The first one was just the comment about me eating custard and yeah. all <laughs> <and, and laughs> okay. the dairy land. The right. second one was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to bring us back to the custard, really. But uh no, and I think with technology thing, uh, what grabbed me too, and and it's with all of these things, it's how we overcome our limitations. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. That's that what's driving it. All of these things become an end in themselves. Right. And like for me, it was politics. The his writing on politics and 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 just that reality of, um, I mean, there's so much to say. And again, folks, read read the book because the books he reads then. I mean, dive into so many other yeah, yeah. Um, other things, but there was there was he quoted um, one activist. Uh, she's feminist and activist, Vivian Gornick, and I just want to read this because I think it it helps me see a lot of how we how the end of politics being this divider for us and the like. It doesn't it can't be the end because mm-hmm. she recognizes it um, in herself and. On the book, it's 173, um, but she conceded as she 
65 years old, you know, and she's been on this journey of being an activist feminist. She said, much of my loneliness was actually self-inflicted, having more to do with my angry, self-divided personality than with sexism. The reality was I was alone, not because of my politics, but because I did not know how to live in a decent way with another human being. In the name of equality, I tormented every man who'd ever loved me until he left me. I called them on everything, never let anything go, held them up to accountability in ways that wearied us both. There was, of course, more than a grain of truth in everything I said. But those grains, no matter how numerous, need not have become the sand sand pile that crushed the life out of love. And it's just like, I went, oh, you are talking about the world. Like, you are talking about what I'm seeing in in our families and around our table, you know, of just... And again, politics, and he says this about all of these, they're not bad in and of themselves. When they become the end of our enoughness, they are, right? Yeah, they, they crush gonna, us. They crush us, and, and they leave us divided and disconnected. And, and I just thought, man, from here's a, you know, a secular person who understands that the end doesn't, that end doesn't get us necessarily where we want. Yeah, that's a cry of the heart. In pursuit of enoughness, right? Yeah, and and that's met in the gospel. That's why I'm excited about gospel centered ministry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 again, maybe if I can just, I'll I'll point us to one Keep on one reading, last man. thing. I mean, he he talks about then the gospel of grace, uh, mm-hmm. and he does this with all of the chapters. But he yep. says, you know, here's a hopeful vision. This attitude, also known as grace, does not negate or invalidate our political convictions or ethical stances. Instead, it allows us to hold them more gently and more honestly. Moreover, the promise of heaven relieves us of the burden of fixing the world single-handedly, a burden that was never ours in the first place. It puts our fractious political arrangements in a proper light, the light of eternity. You know, and it's like, oh. Man, there is freedom. There, yeah. there is some hope. We can love. We can be loved. We can love people who are different than us. Right. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, I think I think the one that struck me was the Jesus Land chapter. If we're yeah. if we're ready okay. to yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. yeah dive into it and uh, yeah. just kind of looking at the church world and I, I, one of the things I appreciated was he kind of he kind of looks at both kind of extremes or however he just. He's an equal opportunity. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Equal opportunity. And where, yeah. where and, and the word he used was, was transformation, that we get fixated on transformation within the church. Right. Uh, right. Instead of grace, right? Mm-hmm. And transformation, like believe, do the right things. On one side, it could be maybe morals and ethics. Um, but on the other side, it might be social action, uh, both of which – Again, you're chasing this enoughness behavior that you're hoping will save you and show that you're enough. And uh, what I loved is he brought it back to uh, this uh, a picture of, of an AA group mm-hmm. and, uh, and how that is probably a better representation of what the church could be living by. Hey, we're not enough. And uh, he, he writes it this way, and I just he writes it better than I can explain it. So 
He writes this, page 197. As a result, the theology of AA, such as it is, does not dwell on secondary questions. God is who you need to save you, without whose intervention you will die. And the rest is just window dressing. Oddly enough, this <laughs> emphasis on personal salvation above all else creates a community of mutual service and sacrifice that puts most churches to shame. Perhaps because it flows out of shared weakness, persistent shared weakness, rather than any shared strength. Humility is both the beginning and the end. I was like, okay, good night. I can go to bed now. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Helps us rest and in, in find peace, right? It's grace, the gospel. Yeah. Well, um, you know, this is some of what we see as we look around. Um, I was just wondering, as you looked through these chapters, which which one, like we talked about, JB, you leaned into earlier, we're as re- quote unquote religious people, right? As Christians, mm-hmm. um, Jesus land isn't the only one that we fall into, right? It's not the only one we struggle with to find our enoughness. Um, wondering just personally, we're going to end kind of with this question. Um, we'll work our way out from there, but, uh, yeah, which one do you struggle with? I mean, what do you, where do you find or have you found yourself finding enoughness in as you've journeyed? For me, it would have to be the work okay. issue that what I produce, whether it's a growing church or a, uh, a lot of IT um, service tickets closed, yep. that if I'm doing this, if I've got more hours than anybody on the team, then I must be contributing. I must have significance. And I, my ability to do that in a church setting or in a corporate IT setting or in a music setting or a, a school setting has just been crushing. And I, I probably see clearer now than ever before that I've just tried to make something of me by what I produce. And it was a powerful discovery years ago to have to realize that as I was getting out of bed, there was nothing I could do to make God love me anymore. And there was nothing I could do to make God love me any less. That's how Philip Yancey defines grace. And that I was going to live the rest of the day just loved by God, whether I hit the bullseye or the productive level or not. Yeah. And Zoll unpacked this in all its different dimensions and in ways that I just felt, oh, how did he get into my email inbox? (laughs) This is awful. Um, So it was just another layer of that getting peeled back and, and the gospel applied to it. Definitely. Just pick a chapter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it could okay, be one. fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of them. I, I felt, but but one for me, the the romance or parenting. I kind of combine those, like family, mm, sure, um, and and work. You know, like and and a lot of that for me is measured by the people in my life and getting, you know, I, I want to hear from Yvonne that I'm, I'm a good husband. I want to, that's what I'm seeking. That's where I'm often, I want to hear from my kids that I'm a, am I, am I a good enough dad? Am I a good enough husband? Um, and, and it rolls into work as well. Am I, am I a good enough, am I a good enough pastor? And so sure. often my temptation is, is to, to look to receive that enoughness from, from others, you know, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's the one that 
that I know about myself. Um, and once again, the chapters kind of draw that out. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more fun to talk about my Packer obsession and, you know, the, <laughs> the sports obsession. <laughs> the ones sure. that hit closer to home are. <laughs> it, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and then you see, that's what I wanted. And I fell short. You have to deal with inadequacy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that becomes a place that sometimes the gospel moves in in big ways. But, but ouch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I basically like all of them. Um, yeah, but the two, the two that really jumped out at uh, me and, and I think that I've wrestled with throughout my in, entire life would be a combination of both busyness and work. Okay. Um, a kind of willingness to um, overcommit. To things, yeah. to be really busy, um, to find meaning and significance in my work. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of like play off of JB a little bit too, that I've probably tended to see being a parent as part of my work, being a husband as part of my work, and um, have not always been compensated fairly for the amount of work that I've done <laughs> <laughs> um, or been met oh, with. Man. you know. And so really just trying to, to learn to say – you know, well, being a parent and being uh, and a, a husband is not work. It's a state of being. It's a state of relating um, that there's not an exchange taking place um, in this relationship. Um, but busyness and work, I mean, it's, it's just in the air that we breathe everywhere. It's how people see things. And, um, and I think if anything within the Christian faith and the gospel – has given me helped me develop appreciation for not finding significance in in my meaning and work that it does yeah. it won't provide enough but it's it's a constant um it's a constant battle yeah um it's a battle that I fight every morning um when I get up it's a battle I fight every night when I'm thinking about going to bed um as I if walk I just by do my one more thing walk by yeah. my office door can I just do one more thing can I yeah. check one more email can I get one more thing off the list um and for some reason, I don't know why, I believe I have this whole group of people standing over me keeping account of how many things I actually get done. And yeah. they're going to come down and attack me one night in my sleep that yeah. I haven't yeah. achieved a sufficient number of things off my list. And as you share that, like something that, that hits me too, because busyness, family, work, if, if my enoughness is measured by time – they are in com- competition with each yeah. other. Yeah. And that's yeah. the other struggle. Like if I give this much time here, then I don't have the time here. And so that, yeah. So then it's like trying to work from home. I feel like I'm just failing at both. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Cause I'm being a horrible dad and I'm being a horrible worker, you know, uh, anyway. And when we go into relationships thinking I need this relationship to work so that I can feel enough, it, yeah. it'll crush it right. yeah. to go into a relationship and think, by grace, I've been saved. By grace, I can enter into this. Suddenly, the whole transactional relationship, I give you this and you give me that, all of that just falls apart. Yeah. And suddenly, it's like two human beings yeah. holding on to each other, going forward. I think for me, as I read fandom, and some of yeah. it actually connects back to what you just said, Darwin, of realizing so yeah as we're recording this the playoffs of you know we're in the NFL playoffs and What's the NFL I, the 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 not for long <laughs> You're not <league>. succeeding <laughs> <laughs> um 
And uh, sorry, JB, but I got to have the pleasure of watching Aaron Rodgers get oh, knocked off yeah, and brutal. Tom Brady get knocked off. And Aaron Rodgers got knocked off the day after the Milwaukee Bucks and Grayson Allen wiped out Alex Caruso in a flagrant two breaking his wrist. Can you hear the vitriol burning? Oh, right, you know? I, I can't. I'm just wondering where my dolphins are in the story. <laughs> right. and, and, and we can love each other in the midst right, of yeah, this tension. Yeah. You know? So we're at the table together, folks. So this is yeah, a yeah, good yeah, thing. Yeah, a God is good. It's a big table. <laughs> yeah. but, but he points out the reality of this justifying, like how easily I get drawn into the ha-ha. We love yeah. to see people get knocked off their pedestal. It somehow makes me feel better, but then when I actually look at myself in the mirror, it's probably because I'm afraid of getting knocked off my own pedestal, right? Like the things that define me, people see me, they know me, right? My own fear for that. So I can bury that fear in watching other people get knocked off, mm-hmm. right? And then and I can vilify people and I can – you know, as a, as a Bears fan, a Bulls fan, and Milwaukee's ninety miles away, right? We know the, we know that difference. We know that gap, and they're always going to be the, you know, they're always going to be the enemy. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it's just reminding myself of like, oh yeah, no, and then you know how often Sam will run out, my son, and be laughing as I'm yelling profusely at the how bad the bears are, right? So, and then I can celebrate that it was a former bear, Robbie Gold. Winning the game on a kit. Oh, I'm just rubbing it in, got, folks. Yeah. <laughs> no. You got to find something to cheer for, you know, because <laughs> right, right. that's right. all I have. As, um, <laughs> as, as a Dolphin fan, um, my pastoral advice to you would be just quit watching. <laughs> yes. Well, and again, like when you have to, when that has to become your reality, mm-hmm. that it's better that you just don't watch it. Yeah. How deeply are you in it? Um, yeah. I think I w- I'm going to read this from the fandom peace but again i think it relates to everything and as we're drawing to a close cuz again the gospel the gospel of grace right this is the story that's that's yeah. the story we're about that mm-hmm. it, it's it's not about earning it's about what christ has done um he he writes this for their own part even his most ardent supporters proved disloyal to jesus fair weather all of them <laughs> the only devotion that proved pure was his own. Mm. Jesus took the shots for his followers rather than vice versa, as if to say, I see you, that non-costumed you, and this is how much I value you. All his fans got to do was watch and jeer from the best seats in the house. Good thing that there was an encore. Mm. And it's uh, just, again, the power of our enoughness Billy said it, you know, there's nothing that we can do that's going to make us love, make God love us any less or any more. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and that other person yeah. failing, falling off doesn't improve me at all. It doesn't yeah. give me anything. Right. Yeah. I'm free to help them up because I have enough in Christ, not because I benefit from their fall. Yeah. Right. And when all of these things we talk about yeah. – our blessings in our lives instead of the end in which we live for, yeah. they're exactly that. They're blessings. Yeah, they're yeah, great you know, things. Our kids, our work, you name it, food. Um, and so, yeah, that's seculosity in a nutshell. Um, but uh, we'd encourage you to pick it up, read it, 
um, dive in, just chew on it. Um, Find a chapter. Even the beauty of the book is you could find a chapter and just dive in there. Yeah, Um, get the book, read the introduction, which kind of gives you his his Mm -hmm. thesis, but then find the chapter that most interests you. Yeah. And he'll help you walk through how the gospel makes a difference in that particular area and where the potential idols are. Right. Uh, next time, we're going to dive into The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Woo! Carl Truman. We're actually going to look at an article to base our conversation around. Uh, for you at home, um, we will – we will put that on the website. We'll get that on the website so you can uh, get to the yeah. gospel. I believe the Gospel Coalition yeah. um, put the article mm-hmm. together. But uh, Darwin, give us a two-second, five-second, ten-second synopsis. <laughs> what are we diving into? <laughs> um, basically, it's it's a social history, um, a very intense and very in-depth social history um, that shows how – um, shows really how we got to our current place in our society and culture um, around the LBGTQ plus conversation. Okay. Um, so it's it's he, he writes um, from a from a Christian perspective, but he deals um, great in a, in a great way, in a very direct way, an intense way with the th- the thought patterns that brought us here, and really what he looks at is the undercurrents that were taking place in society and culture that have now come to the surface. Exactly. Um, So it's, it's intense. It's um, academic. The book is at least. Yep. Um, It's thoughtful. um, It's engaging and it's graceful. And for me, it was illuminating. Yeah. I began to see that some of the conversations I'm having as surface storms, as you've yeah. pointed out, are really deeper currents. Right. And to, so to understand them, this was very helpful. Yeah. yeah it, it basically will take this identity conversation right. to a much to another just deeper level, deeper level. Yeah. for us as yeah. we wrestle through. So the rise and triumph of the modern self, Carl Truman, uh, for next time. But uh yeah, today was yeah. Seculosity by David Zoll. And uh, as far as we go, again, I'm Aaron. I'm Bill. I'm JB. I'm Darwin. Uh, God bless as, as you live and walk and may you receive and live into the grace, that unearned favor of love uh, that God has for each of us. Peace. Peace. Shalom.